Holy Spirit, would you help me today? In Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. amen. We've been in the last 10 verses of the book of Acts, and uh, we've been talking as a church about when the Lord or the Holy Spirit's in the mix, His presence, His tangible presence. Some of you that are new to church, you're feeling things that you've never, ever felt before. There's something that happens when corporate worship happens. Uh, Pastor Chase mentioned it earlier. When two or three are gathered together, He's in our midst. The presence of God, the tangible presence of God, the life-transforming presence of God that moves you from where you're at to where he wants you to be, he comes in the room. And I've been in services, man, where his presence has been so thick, it's been undeniable. And we're going to get to a place in this church where his presence becomes so undeniable that the worship team has to stop. There's going to be no preaching. The altar call is going to be given because the Holy Spirit's going to, going to speak to you individually. These altars are going to become full. And life-transforming stuff is going to begin to happen. Amen? If he's transformed your life, give him a big round of applause. Come on, somebody. We believe it. So we've been talking about the source. You know, when you go back to the source, it's at its most pure and original state. You know, we read these 10 verses in the last chapter, or the, the second chapter of the book of Acts, and we read what happened when the Holy Spirit initially fell on the church. And there's these 13 characteristics of a Holy Spirit-driven church that we've been going over. The first is in verse number 37, they repented. We talked about how repentance is not just belief, and if you're not careful, you will join the American church in changing the goalposts of Christianity to being one of belief only. The Bible says if you believe in God, that puts you on par with even the demons, because even the demons believe. But belief and confession gets you on the porch of the kingdom of God and repentance knocks you in the front door. And how many don't want to just do something halfway, but you want to walk in the fullness of God? The fullness of God is what we're after. And so the church just can't preach a belief message only. It's got it's to preach a belief and confession that allows you and gives you the, the encouragement. Grace is the encouragement. It's the encourager for you to grow in. People don't say, you know, like, you know, grace is going to make you fall down and, and it's going to pick you. No, grace causes you to grow. One of the greatest scriptures that I've read about grace talks about this. It's really profound. Grow in grace. Grace is the rocket fuel of, of your Christian walk. And so repentance is, is part of that dynamic of an early church. Repentance means, you ready for this one? You make a choice not to do it again. What a concept. A lot of people are trying to pray things out of their life when God is saying, no, through the grace and power of the Holy Spirit, I'll give you the ability to repent to where you never have to touch that thing again. And how many, how many want to be free? Wave, wave at me. I want to be a free. And, and the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not in our own flesh, our own works, our own, our own trying to. It's not in our trying to grasp. It's when we let go and we receive what God has for us that we can walk in true repentance. The second thing we read, it says repent and be baptized. We talked about the power of public confession of faith. And I've had a lot of wonderful conversations about the power of water baptism since I preached that message. Uh, baptism, publicly confessing your faith, is an important step in your journey. Again, we, we did a poll. How many here has been water baptized before? Wait, raise your hand. That's pretty good stuff. If you're not raising your hand, you should get water baptized. Look to your neighbor and say, I saw that your hand wasn't raised. <laughs> We're calling you out. No. 
it's a natural step for you to go public with your faith. It's almost, you know, water baptism is almost as important as you actually making it Facebook official in your relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like, ladies, if he hasn't made it official to the world, don't give him any space in your life yet, all right? If he's trying to keep you a secret, he's not honoring you. Come on, somebody. Look to your neighbor and say, I know a person that's doing that, right? So repent, and there's water baptism. That's what we talked about. And then the third element is to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We taught, man, that there is a second act. So salvation, there's no second class Christians in the body, but there's more. Salvation through Jesus Christ and and the cross and and the tomb and Romans 10, 9, and 10, belief and confession. There's no second class Christians, but there's more. The power of the Holy Spirit to baptize you with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And we talked about how you can pursue more. That, that there's more for you. Look to your neighbor and say, there's more. There's more. And so we talk about those three. And then last week we talked about how many of us would like to skip the fourth, fifth, and sixth, and seventh thing and get to the signs and wonders, the eighth thing of the characteristics, because we don't like to talk about this word that we talked about last week, which was devotion. Many of us in the church, especially us spirit-filled Pentecostals, say, well, where are the signs and wonders today? And God's looking at the church and going, where's the devotion? Where, 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 are you fully devoted? The Bible says that they devoted themselves fully. We learned last week that the Old Testament, the idea of devotion was that you devoted something. The idea in the New Testament is that you devote oneself. Romans 12 and 1 says that you become the living sacrifice. God, all of me, not just part of me. God, I don't want to just give you the easy parts. It's like a lot of us do what Abraham does. You know, when, when the Lord says, give me your son, and he's like, who, Ishmael? We have some of those kids, don't we? You have one of those kids? Like, if God asked you for one of your kids, which one would you want to give up, and then which one would you want to keep? Don't say it out loud. That's wrong. That's, that's wrong. We, uh... We, we oftentimes are like Abraham, where it's like, well, God, I'll give you Ishmael. He's a troublemaker. You know, I want, I want to give you him. And God says, no, I want the one that you love, the, the, the thing that you desire the most, the, the thing that you've put on a pedestal over me. And we, we learn that you, in America today, in, 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 our, in our belief system, anything that we put in front of God is an idol. It could be a spouse. It could be a job. It could be a career. It could be our calling. It could even be our country. That's why one nation under God is so important, not over God, under God. What, what, has make them, what has made America just an incredible nation of progressing to the proper place of surrender is that it's always been a place under God, where there's been seasons of repentance and revival and renewal, and our land, listen, I mean, our land is in desperate need for the watering of revival. And we can't say it's, it, you know, the Democrats need to do it and the Republicans need to do it and the Independents need to do it. No, the church house needs to do it. It starts with us. It starts with me as a pastor. It starts with being devoted fully. And we talked about three different types of devotion that oftentimes sit in the room. The first type of devotion is no devotion. There's people, we read in Romans chapter 1, that the end of a life of no devotion is people leaving natural affection. It's what you saw in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's what, you, it's what you see in nations that give themselves over to being not devoted to God. The secular ideology lends itself to where you leave natural affections. 
And, and not only do you leave natural affections, the church house doesn't become the church house. It becomes a community club. It becomes a place where business is conducted, where connections are made. And Jesus walked into that kind of scenario in the New Testament, and what did he do? He, he turned the tables over. He said, this is going to be a house of prayer or a place of communion between me and my people. And so you've got to be careful that you don't belong to a place to where you have great community. We're going to talk about this in a few moments. It's important to be a, a, at a place of fellowship. And that fellowship word, koinonia, is something that we've gone away from in the body of Christ. Listen, church was not meant to be just something that we do on a Sunday. The body of Christ devoting themselves is something that we are to do 24-7, 365. And so the first type of devotion, there's no devotion. The second type of devotion is mixed devotion. That, that's a lot of us in this room, if we were to be honest. We can remember when we were fully devoted to Christ, when there was nothing off limits in our life, when there, there, was, there was not something that the Holy Spirit couldn't ask for in our life. And a lot of us, if we're, if we're to be honest, the reason why our Christianity is boring is because anything that you do halfway becomes boring. You ever seen a little eager in, little eager in right field who's not playing baseball to the full intent and he's playing with the dandelions in right field? And he gets to the dugout and he goes, this is boring. Well, anything that you do halfway is boring. And so a lot of young, listen to me, if you're a young adult in this room, a young person, the reason why Christianity is boring to you is because you haven't given all yet. But the moment that you give all, it is an incredible journey. Oh my gosh, it's an incredible journey. When you give all, 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 the great exchange happens and it's not boring. Persecution's not boring. Being peculiar is not boring. You know, being a special people's not boring. And so we have to get past the place of being mixed. And the third type of devotion is full devotion, is where you're all in. And to be honest, fully devoted followers of Jesus are rare today. And if I can be honest as a pastor, the Lord's been convicting me. There's areas in my life where I'll watch my faith, if I'm not careful, be steeped in places of doubt. And I, I, I want to be known as a full, fully devoted follower of Jesus. I don't want him just to have, you know, Sunday through Friday and I get Saturday off. Fully devoted. You know, if I went to my wife and I said, hey, I'm going to be faithful to you 11 months out of the year, but one month it's going to be free reign and I can do whatever I want, she would look at, yeah. <laughs> if you guys can't see, she went like this. Started shaking in my boots a little bit. But a lot of us, we treat our relationship with the Lord that way, right? We're, we're, Lord, we're sometimes devoted, so that means that you'll understand. And what God is after is a fully devoted church and body that is following him and all they do. And so every kind of devotion has lenses. So all of us have lenses on right now. And so when we start talking about being fully devoted, if you have a lens on that is of no devotion, it's going to be hard for you to understand because in order for you to see things in the Spirit, you have to have eyes of the Spirit. A lot of people will go, well, I don't understand why I have to give up this or why I have to give up that. Does my salvation depend upon? And it's like, no, you're looking in the mixed devotion lens. And so a lot of us, we try to answer these questions on the line system 
And we're like, well, if I do this, am I still saved? If I do that, and God says, no, I got rid of the lying system. The lying system is gone. And so most of us, if we could, we would get our human natures, we would get so close to the line and say, like, I'm going to hell, no heaven, I didn't mess up. Because that's human nature. Human nature is is we want to do the the, the least possible to stay. And God's like, get rid of the line, and I want you to get close to me. And as you get close to him, you look more like him. And you talk like he talks, and you have a heart like he has a heart. And you you begin to view things differently and see things differently. When I get close to this line, I get offended in church. Can you believe that pastor shook everyone's hand but mine this morning? Does he even like me anymore? He he just wants my money. We, We get to this line, and it's amazing when we operate in the flesh... As we operate in the flesh, you you tracking with me this morning? When you operate in the flesh, flesh is the result. But when I operate in the spirit, I forgive that person. I walk in in unity and I recognize I'm going to have to learn how to forgive. And this heart of repentance and, and public confession and unity begins to take place. Because there is diversity in scripture, but it's diversity of gifts. It's not diversity of character. And a lot of people want to have a united church, but in the church you cannot be united if you are wearing the lens of no devotion, wearing the lens of mixed devotion, and some people are wearing the lens of full devotion. You'll never ever walk in a united church unless you do what these next four steps in this sermon series are. It's it's, what does a Holy Spirit-driven characteristic church look like? Are you tracking with me this morning? If you love Jesus, give him a big round of applause in this place. Come on. So repentance, water baptism, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then verse number 42 reads, and they devoted themselves. They didn't devote something. They didn't devote part of their life. They devoted themselves. Look at self and say, self, I'm devoting you. I'm setting myself apart for God's use. Everything that I do, my job, my career, my calling, my marriage, the way that I raise my kids, I am not going to look like the world because I am setting myself apart. The Bible says to come out from among them and be separate. The Bible says in 1 John, do not love this world or the things in this world. And as, as, a, as a parent, modern parent today that, that my wife and I are, 41 years old, we just graduated high school senior, we had an 11-year-old, the forces that are at families today trying to tell you to raise your, your kids like the rest of the world are powerful. They want you to praise the ball. Go to every weekend softball tournament, every weekend basketball tournament. They want you to to give your parental rights over to the medical doctors. They want you to give your parental rights over to the school. They talk about how these are our children. These are are our, and, and the world wants to funnel these kids down a wide road that leads to destruction, but not you. But not you. You're gonna raise your kids on the foundation of the word of God. You're gonna raise your kids, you're gonna raise your kids straight in a crooked world. You're you're, you're gonna, husbands and fathers, you're gonna take responsibility for the leading of your family. You're gonna be the first one in church. You're gonna be the first one to raise your hands. You're gonna be the first ones to the altar. Because listen to me, if your kids never see you with a hand raised and a tear in your eye or an altar, a a knee bent at an altar, what, what, what what are you modeling for them? And so we're gonna lay down our pride and we're gonna be fully devoted fathers and husbands and leaders of our, of our church and, and wives, you're going to be fully devoted. 
We're going to be fully devoted in everything that we do. But, but the world wants you to, to sing your kids down this wide road that leads to destruction. Someone asked me, you know, Pastor, would you give parental advice to me? And I said, no. And I'm going to be honest because I'm still in the middle of it. The jury is still out. I got teenagers. I got an 18-year-old and an 11-year-old. You do not want parental advice from me, but I will tell you that my aim and my hope and my goal is to raise men of God, but those are in short supply. And I want my kids to be able to stand up, like we said in John 1.17 last, last week. I want my, young, my, my, two, my two men of God, I want them to know what it means to walk in truth and grace. I want them to know that they don't cower down to the world and its ideologies and they give half-truths or three-quarters truth. I want them to be men of God that walk in 100% truth, but I also want them to walk in 100% grace. I want, I want, them, I want them to be kind. I, I want them to, to, to love people genuinely who differ from, and I, I don't want them to, to draw a, a, a line or a wall of separation and say we can never communicate with people who disagree with us. Listen to me. It is important to understand it is the enemy's number one goal to separate the church from its mission field. He's tried to separate the church from different communities. And listen to me, there's going to come a point when you try it all. You try your drug, you try your drink, you try your, your career, you try your chasing women, you try, you, you try it all. You try your sleeping around, you try it all. And you're going to be more empty. But if the church separates itself from people who are at the end of it all, how are they supposed to come home? How are they supposed to come home? And so, listen to me. We do not have enemies. We have mission fields. There's, we have no, as, as believers, we, we pray for those who despitefully use us. And, and God, what he does is he begins to grow your burden. And, and what, what the enemy doesn't understand what he's doing to the church right now is he's not ostracizing the real church or putting the church in a corner. He's causing the church's burden to grow right now. And that's very dangerous for the enemy. Because do you know why our burden's growing? Because we know exactly who we are. We know how dirty, rotten, sinful nature. Yeah, look to your neighbor and say, if you knew who I was before I sat here, you probably wouldn't be sitting next to me. Ain't, ain't that the truth? I mean, where God saved some of you and some of us and some of me, uh, my dad would always say, thank God for Jesus. That's what he would say. Thank God for Jesus. And I would like, carry the one? What does that mean? Thank God for Jesus. The hope, though, is, the hope, the hope, the hope is to create people who are fully devoted followers of Jesus. And so we don't want to be the Christians that preach repentance and baptism, just preach repentance and baptism and uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then we skip four steps and we get to the, the miraculous and the signs and the wonders. Listen to me, the signs and wonders are important, but we don't chase them. They chase us. When you're fully devoted followers of Jesus, miracles just chase you. They, they, you don't have to... It's not like you're ever going to... like. Do it now. Or I've prayed for many people where I'm like, well, done, and nothing happened. And I'm like, well, done, nothing happened. But, but God and his infinite wisdom and his knowledge and his character, we know what he says about infirmities and sicknesses and diseases. You know what he says about them? They're healed in Jesus' name. 
Do you know what he says about your, your, your bondage or your breakthrough area? It's, it's, he sees with his eyes in your life and he sees those bondages and strongholds gone in Jesus' name. He, he sees them by the renewing of your mind that as you, as you do this, like, Lord, seep in there. If you're not seeing something that, that, that is aligned by the character of God, this is a good place to start. Now, I'm not, this is just an example. Don't do this, all right? I mean, I guess you could. It'd be like people would take pictures of you. Um, Carissa, stop taking pictures of me. It's like that one Facebook meme that I saw or the, the story that I saw of the Chinese kid and he was studying for a test and he was doing this. He was just trying to scoop the words in, you know, like... That's a good start, but let's read them and study them, right? But to be devoted followers of Jesus is, is got to be the goal. And so the Bible says that they devoted themselves. They devoted. Devoted means to strongly follow, strongly persist in, and to be totally committed to. Persistence. That, that if you're going to want to live this Holy Spirit life out, you're going to have to understand what it means to be devoted to. To be in relationship with anybody requires you to be persistent. When I go home and I'm tired and I've been working, there's, you know, I'm, I, I'm, on, a, I'm on a stretch of working 13 days and I get home and I, I do this with my shoes, I kick them off. Does anyone do that? Don't do that. You're ruining your shoes, but I do that. And I'll flip them. And I'll flip them, and they might not even land in the right spot. And one's over here, and one's over there, and my wife gets so angry. <laughs> she's like, if you just treat your shoes nice, they'll be there in the next last spot. And she's constantly showing how persistent her love is for me. Because there's times when she knows I'm tired, she'll just go grab the shoes and put them right where they go. And this amazing thing happens. This amazing thing happens. The next time I need to wear those shoes, you know where they're at? They're right there. But persistence in. Whenever you, whenever you are in relationship with anything or anybody, you're going to have to understand the power of devotion. If you're new to our church, if you're new to the faith, listen to me. If you have not been offended yet, get ready. It's coming. <laughs> the nicest people will offend you. And I don't know why it is. I don't know why we do it. I don't know why people have done it to me. But we just offend each other. I, you ever get to a men's breakfast or a, a, a restaurant table and you know, the, the latest conspiracy theory comes out or they watch, someone watch something on Fox News and you're trying to hold a poker face or CNN or, you're, you know, you're just the, the topic of the day and you're trying to hold the poker face like you really care about what they're talking about and you're saying words like sure and okay, but you're really not tracking and, and uh, listen, people are going to offend you. Look to your neighbor and say, you're going to get offended. And I, I, I'm going to say something that might be a little controversial. It is probably the greatest thing that'll happen to you. Because <laughs> then you'll learn how to forgive and love people the way that Jesus forgives and loves people. You hearing this, Pastor, this morning? Devoted. So there are four things that they were devoted to. The first is, is that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The first thing that they devoted themselves to the, was to the apostles' teaching. Doctrine is important in the building of the church. Some people have made the mistake of valuing experience more than doctrine. And you have to be careful that you do not get caught up in a subjective experience that is without an objective reality based upon God's Word. 
There are a lot of expressions that happen in the church that aren't based upon his word. Then there are a lot of things that expressions that are in his word that we've not allowed in the church because we've told God the Father, God the Son, and what's that other guy's name? Um, we want him to go into the corner and stay there because we don't understand it or it gets messy or, it's, or it's, it, it makes us uncomfortable or it doesn't make the new person you know, feel comfortable. But listen, when the Holy Spirit is active, the expression that you will find in the Word is the expression that you will find in your church. And so we have to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. One needs to be taught to live Christ's way. The apostles could teach this with authority since they had been commissioned by the Lord to do so. The church has always been, listen to me, has always been anchored to the teachings of the apostles. In your guys' notes, and if they can flash up the QR, the QR code, in your notes, I gave um, some examples, the, the 12 examples of the apostles' teachings that, that we espouse to. There, you, you might be able to find some variations between denominations and doctrines. Like, for example, we're spirit-filled Pentecostals and we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. We believe in the, in the gifts found in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. There are some people that are cessationists that don't believe in the gifts and operation in the church. They believe they were specifically for the day found in Scripture but not alive today. And I want, I want to be clear. This is not me slam dunking and saying that they're wrong and we're right. This is not me, because listen, I've met mighty men, of, men and women of God who differ theologically than I do, but they love Jesus. Now, I love to have the conversation with them and say, I think you're wrong, and let me tell you why I think you're wrong. Here's what it is in Scripture, and let me tell you about my wife, who they said shouldn't be alive. Miracles are still happening. Let me tell you about times when the Holy Spirit has used words of wisdom and words of knowledge and, and those, those nine power gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me tell you about the experiences that I've had that have been based upon the Word of God. Are you tracking with me? So these, these 12 doctrinal positions are things that you need to study. Because what, what happens, is, what happens is, is a lot of people, when they go to defend their faith, they don't even know how to defend their faith. They get past, as I was talking to a, a new friend this weekend, they get to the place where God loves you, and that's where their gospel ends. And it's true, but it's important that we as a body learn how to study to show ourselves approved, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly defining the word of truth. Is that what the word of God says? And so there's, there's, tw there's 12, and I'm going to rattle them off, but I gave you scripture references, and we can. it would actually be a great time to actually go through as a Bible study with your small groups and your care groups. The first is this. This is what we believe. The apostles' teaching, the scriptures are the inspired words of God without any errors. This is why this is so important. It's the inspired word of God. Second, there is one true God. He exists as a trinity of three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe as believers, as Christians, Christ followers, that there is no other name by which you can be saved than Jesus. Not Buddha, not Mohammed, not the latest uh, internet fad, not, not mind over matter, but it is Jesus Christ that will save you from your sins. So we believe. We believe that all humans except Jesus Christ have sinned. All of us. Raise your hand if you're a sinner in this place. If your hand's not raised, raise, like lift the neighbor's hand up. Yeah, you're a dirty, rotten sinner like all of us. That's why I like when we start talking about sin and people get offended. It's like, you haven't read the Bible because the Bible, you know, offends us all. You know, like, I got two hands and a foot up. 
Four, salvation is available only through Jesus Christ. Five, all who receive Jesus as Savior must be baptized in water. Six, the Lord's Supper reminds believers of the Lord's death and His return. Seven, the baptism in the Holy Spirit comes with the immediate outward sign of speaking in a new language. Eight, miracles, signs, wonders, healings, speaking in tongues, and other spiritual gifts are the church's inheritance until Jesus Christ returns. Nine, God requires His children to live holy lives. This is possible as we choose to walk in the Spirit. Ten, the church is a, is a spiritual family of God. It is a fellowship based upon the blood of Jesus and created by the Spirit. Eleven, Jesus rose victorious over death. He just did not, did not just die on the cross, but He raised from the tomb. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Number twelve, Jesus will conquer Satan, the Antichrist, and evil. And one day... Jesus is coming back. Normal is not coming back. Jesus is coming back. Look to your neighbor and say, Jesus is coming back. And here's what I want to close in the next seven or eight minutes. They devoted themselves to doctrine. It is important for you as a believer in a Holy Spirit-driven church to devote yourself to the doctrines of God. My dad would always say as I was growing up, Jay, everyone has a philosophy of religion whether they've defined it or not. You are living right now, whether you want to believe it or not, living according to your own doctrine. Everyone has rules that they live by. Some people think that because they have no rules that they don't really, no, that's your rule. You just have no rules. So you, you are living by a certain code of ethics. You are living by some kind of morality. It might be relative morality. My truth is my truth and your truth is your truth and we're just going to all try to live in together with not a version of truth. Well, I believe in an absolute truth and it is founded upon the Word of God. And when my life does not look like the Word of God, it is not God's fault, it's my fault. When something in my life isn't adding up, I don't change the character of God. I don't change my beliefs to match my behavior. I say, God, would you help me bring this under submission so my behavior matches what your word wants me to believe? What a powerful thing that is. Doctrine. They devoted themselves to doctrine. Now listen to me. They didn't just devote part of themselves to doctrine or the parts of doctrine that they like. My son gets in the car uh, last week of school. He's got his Bible. He goes to the Christian school in town and he opens up to the book of Matthew and he's got things highlighted in there. And his highlights aren't neat. And it's like an 11-year-old highlights. And it's driving me crazy because it's like it bled through three pages. And, but he really, really wanted to ask me a question, Ken. And he was like, had this thing highlighted. And he goes, do I really have to turn the other cheek? <laughs> I was, uh, uh, first year of our internship program, the sanctuary is pitch black. I don't know why it was pitch black, but we had some worship music on playing and we were in a season of prayer and the interns would use their flashlights on their Bibles and they were reading and one of our interns um, named Paul Hegman, by the way, shout out to Paul Hegman. He, um, he, I mean, just in the middle of this holy moment, he goes, I cannot believe that's in there. <laughs> I mean, he was so wanting to do something that was contrary to the word of God. And when he found it for himself, like his flesh just went like, I can't believe that that's in there. 
And listen to me, you don't just devote yourselves to the doctrines that you agree with. The Word of God is our final authority. Look to your neighbor and say, he's preaching to you right now. He's preaching to you right now. When it says be friendly, do you know what you should do? Be friendly. When it says that you should be hospitable, what should you be? Hospitable. When it says that you should be forgiving, what should you be? Forgiving. But man, I don't want to forgive that person. Do you know what that person has done? I'm going to introduce you to what I believe is the greatest miracle of the early church. Brooke, if you can come back to the keyboard. They devoted themselves to doctrine, and then something interesting happened. The Bible says that they devoted themselves to fellowship. I'm old enough to remember services that we would have after the service. The afterglows. You guys remember those things? The fireside prayer meetings. I can remember growing up in the church to where the church just wanted to be around the church. And this word that, that is probably not in our vernacular very, as much as it should is this word called koinonia. It stands for close interpersonal relationships amongst believers and the Lord. It means that as I'm talking to you and you're talking to me, he's there with us. What an incredible thing. That the early church had koinonia. The Christian life is not meant to be a lonely life. God intends us to come alongside one another in fellowship. That involves more than acknowledging the person's presence. It means recognizing and connecting with those who gather for worship. The church has an obligation to make everyone feel welcomed and included. I call it radical hospitality. We have to, as a church, if you've left being radically hospitable, you need to get back to being radically hospitable. The challenge of the church is to carry the koine into every part of the church, then out the doors and into our homes. As we've created a life outside the church, I believe most of us have left koinonia at the church. The greatest miracle that I see in the New Testament church, as I read the book of Acts, I've seen God restore eyesight. I've seen him do it since I've been here at this church. I've seen God heal cancer. That woman that's playing that keyboard, God, God healed her of cancer without ever going through chemotherapy. Medically proven. Is that incredible? I've seen it. My son, who was supposed to be an invalid for the rest of his life, got this rare disease called Opsoclonus minoclonus. No known recovery. He's the only young person in Kaiser that's documented to recover from this disease. I, I, what I'm about to say, I want you to know that I've got a full grasp on what I'm about to say. I don't believe that the greatest miracle that happened in the New Testament was God healing of, of people's infirmities and sicknesses and diseases. I believe the greatest miracle in the New Testament was fellowship. The fact that those people loved each other enough to be around each other 24-7, daily. If you want to test this theory, go on a missions trip. You'll get to day five or six and want to string everyone's neck. 
You'll go on a mission, go on a mission trip for 10 days to Mexico. You will start with the purest of intentions and then you'll question your own salvation at the end. <laughs> the greatest miracle that happens when the Holy Spirit is involved is the miracle of fellowship. The fact that there was, God was doing such a deep thing in them that they became not selfish, but selfless. That their concern wasn't about even their own well-being over the well-being of those around. Some of the saddest things that I hear as a pastor is when I'm talking about God doing a miracle in the body. And I'll, I'll talk to somebody in the church who's been in the church for 20 years and I'll go, you know so-and-so. And they're like, I've never met. I think that is the saddest thing that happens in the church when you don't even know what God's doing amongst you because you have not yet received the miracle of fellowship. The fact that we can live life together. I thought the 4th of July thing that we did was so beautiful at our church. If you missed it, you do not want to miss it next year. It was so beautiful. There was about 150 of us. And listen to me, and I'm not just saying this as an expression. It was hot as hell outside on July 4th. It was hot. I get out there at 5 o'clock, and by 5.10, I am sweating profusely. I'm dripping, like worse than what I do when I preach. I mean, I was just, oh my gosh, it was so hot. Denise and Ben get there, and, and Chase and Leanna, and you know, I think Bear and Ricky got there early, and some people got there early, and they're looking at me like, I mean, in a nice way, what stupid person decided to do this? And I was like, it was me, I did it, it was, it was me. But as the sun set, and as the young adults were playing volleyball, and the kids were in the, in the whole center, as Pastor St. John set up the Rock the Block trailer, and we had, I don't know, there's about 150 of us. People didn't want to leave. Because when he's in the mix, you don't want to run from this place, you want to run to it. And it's not Parkway I'm talking about. It's the kingdom of God. You ever get in those conversations where the Holy Spirit's involved and you don't want to leave? That's the miracle of fellowship. The miracle of fellowship is that, yes, you, yes, you, I'm talking to you, the introvert, the person that doesn't have a whole, yes, you, there's deep relationships in the body of Christ for you when God's involved. When you look at heaven, all nations, all tribes, all peoples, you know there's not gonna be like a white section of church and then a black se section of church and then a brown section of church in heaven. Do you, do you realize, so why don't we just start having heaven on earth? Do you know there's, there's, there's just not gonna be, there's not just gonna be people that like golf in heaven or people that don't like golf in heaven. There's not going to be people that love care groups and don't love care groups in heaven. There's, preferences aren't going to matter. We're going to be in unity together, worshiping God. And so we might as well start having heaven on earth. And here's the invitation of this pastor this morning as I close. I, I want you to know the miracle of fellowship. The Bible says at the end of this passage, and daily souls were added. I don't care what season the church is in. I don't care if it's in a season of persecution. I don't care if it's a season of, of great victory or great defeat. When the Holy Spirit's involved, people are being added daily.
And so listen to me, if your table that you've lived in as a body, as a member of this body, as a member of the, the kingdom of God, if your table hasn't grown, if there's not a seat at your table, I'm going to invite you once again to experience the miracle of fellowship. That, here, here's my homework for you today. Here's the altar call. I want you to find someone you don't know, and I want you to invite them out to dinner. I want you to invite them to coffee. I want you to, to look to your neighbors, and I want you to invite them to Friends Day, August 27th. I want you to get uncomfortable because the greatest miracle that you will ever, ever experience is the miracle of fellowship. And let me get to the Holy Spirit-driven part of this service. You're here today, you're new, and you don't know Jesus. There's a seat at this table just for you. You're not, you didn't walk in this building by chance or happenstance. I didn't get to meet some of you. When I think about the, the chance meeting of, of even Eric and Hope that are here today, it's good to see you guys here today, by the way. You're looking wonderful in church. Eric and Hope are in the middle of a miracle right now. They're in the mid middle of a miracle. I'm glad you're here. You make this church a lot better with you being here. God's got his hand on you. He's got his hand on you. And I know it might be hard to see right now. Yes. Yes. They've got the most wonderful daughter. The daughter comes knocking on the church door. And she knocks on the door and she goes, are you the boss boss? I don't know. I thought, I thought when I became the lead pastor, I could boss everyone around, but I feel more bossed around. And she's become my like little therapy buddy, you know. <laughs> I don't know, sweetheart. Well, she goes, Chase the boss boss. I go, no, he's not the boss boss. I guess the closest thing to the boss boss around here is maybe me, but I'm going to take my pointy finger and go like this. I just want you to know there's a seed of a miracle in your guys' life, and this church is going to come behind you. And we're going to see the miracle take place. And as you've lived your life by a certain set of doctrines and devotion, many of which you know have, as, as you admitted to me, just they, they weren't it. God's going to restore all the years that the enemy stole. Great things are coming. Peace, joy love and the Holy Ghost is going to be part of your guys' life. Would you guys, uh, if you guys are around Eric and Hope, would you guys just put your hands on their shoulders right now? And we're just, would you stretch your hands towards them right now? We're going to pray for them. I didn't mean to point you out this morning, but there's such a great miracle of God that's happening in your guys' life. Yes. The miracle of fellowship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, would you do? Would you speak? Hallelujah. I'm just going to let this thing sit here for like 30 seconds as we pray for them. I'm going to come pray corporately, all right? Would you guys just begin to pray with them?
Father, we thank you for the great miracle added to the kingdom daily. Hallelujah. I pray for miracles. that you would like the invitation that's in front of you but you say pastor I've never felt this kind of peace before his presence it's an invitation listen to me not just to be in relationship with Jesus and that's enough but it's to be in koinonia with the body of Christ where we can listen to me lock arms with each other and through the ups and the downs of life when the body of Christ is united man it's a beautiful thing I was uh, a broke youth pastor with like $35 in my bank account. My son gets this rare disease. I'm driving to Oakland in my car that's about to fall apart. I don't have enough money to get back. Tears streaming through my face. I felt like a failure as a leader, as a father in my mid-20s. I'm like, Lord, I need your help. Not one request I ever made, Adam, not one request. The Lord told me to give you this $80. The Lord told me to give you this $200. The Lord told me to give you this $400. The Lord told me to give you, I don't have money to give you, I'm gonna pray for you. I was in the hospital in Oakland with my boy for two weeks. We just kept taking the envelopes and the cards and sticking them in the backpacks. And um, people ask, why didn't you take pictures or write this down? I was like, do you ever want to document, document like the, the worst week you've ever had? It's like we were trying to forget it, not document it. But looking back on it, we probably should have documented it. Lady comes in, 
My son's drooling out of his mouth. Sir, you owe $3,800. When we were hungry, we'd reach into that backpack and we would grab 20 bucks. If I wouldn't be darned, by the time we left that hospital, there was just enough to pay the bill, to buy us meals, to get us home. Because the church is a beautiful place to be when it's Holy Spirit driven and it's Him. The invitation's in this room for you. Maybe your heart's not right with God. Trying to say it in a way where you understand, like you know, Pastor, there's things in my life that I put in front of Jesus. I'm not asking you to become a member of a church. I'm not asking you to to come and, and make us look good. Our job, again, is not to populate Parkway. It's our job to populate heaven. And heaven's about to be populated in this room. You're here this morning. You say, Pastor, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I mean, I think if Eric and Hope get to be put on blast here today, then I think you guys can, can have some confidence and say, Pastor, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I'm ready. I'm ready, ready to surrender, be devoted to him. I've tried everything else. The first call is that if you're ready this morning, I don't know, I don't know what kind of visitors snuck in here today or if maybe you've been out of church for months or years. Pastor, I'm ready to devote my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you stretch up your hand so I can see it? If that's you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand, son. Thank you. God bless you. I see your hand. a high five, right? Up in the balcony, that's what I'm talking about. See your hand. Yes. The greatest decision that you'll ever make is giving your heart to Jesus. The greatest. Eight or nine hands this morning. Would you, uh, Eric and Hope, if you would like to join us just in this prayer. And this, I want you to know this is a prayer that many of us have prayed to surrender our life to Jesus. And I always like to say there's no like formula in a prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's the belief and the confession and the repentance and the prayer that saves you. And it's just an invitation to get closer to Him. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes and would you repeat this prayer after me as a church family, all of us. Say, dear Jesus, everything that I am for everything that you are, I've tried it all. But this morning I'm devoting my life to you. Thank you for what you did on that cross. I thank you for the victory over the tomb. You did it so that I can have freedom. I recognize it's not my own power, my own strength. It's because of you. So this, smart, this morning, I accept the invitation to ask you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I give you first place everything that I am from this point forward. Now I hear some hand claps in heaven this morning. Let's join heaven this morning and rejoice.
we have some members of what we call the Yes Team. And let me tell you why we came up with a Yes Team name. You ready for it? You ready for it? People just said yes. <laughs> and you're like, now what? And uh, all these members are, they're just trusted people that I know that are going to just try to come alongside you and start teaching you what fellowship looks like. And so listen to me, you don't have to, but there's going to be something inside of you that's going to draw you to deeper, meaningful connections. And so if you raised your hand this morning, I don't want you to um, hesitate. Keith and Denise, and there's Dawson as part of the Yes team and Bruce and Sherry and um, what? Retta and, and Jim Kent. I was going to call you Kent, and I was like, that's not right. I guess I can call you by your last names from now on. Yeah, Jim and Retta. Um, they're just here down front to shake your hand, maybe exchange some phone numbers. Um, we want you to know that we're here for you, ready for a relationship. You're here this morning. Here's a second call that I felt as we close. Just a recommitment to being part of what some of you have known what has been real. You've experienced it before, but you're ready. I'm going to lift my two hands up. Heavenly Father, I give you permission to work deep in my life. I want to be a fully devoted follower of you. And I recognize that's going all in with you and all in in fellowship with people. God, if I've closed my table, if I've closed my table because of hurt, unforgiveness, bitterness, God, I open my table up again. If I've closed my table because I felt underappreciated or undervalued, God, I find my value in you again. Father, would the miracle of fellowship be released in this house, we pray. And let it start with me. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody says, it has been so good to be with you guys today. Hey, before you run out that direction, how about we practice it together? Slap someone high five. Meet someone you don't know. One last time, give Jesus the greatest round of applause you've given him all day. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.